reunited and it feels so good. Ooh. Oh, yeah. I love that. Back on the potty today, girls. Well, the podcast, (laughs) not the podcast. (laughs) The podcast. Not Meanwhile, Katie has. <laughs> Meanwhile, Casey has this um, jetpack going on. Oh my god! <clears throat> Lindsay, let me know that sometimes she can hear my heater kick on. She thought it was my house heater. It's actually just my dinosaur computer heater turning on. It sounds like an airplane taking off. <laughs> So, you know, it's, it's your, it's your cool, it's your fan, not your <laughs> heater. I think he's trying to cool your, your computer. Her, her computer is actually like a, a I was going to say something, but it sounded a little bit mean. It's just very old. It's very old. It gets really hot though. Like this thing will burn your thighs. You know, you gotta have a barrier. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Plus, I don't know. I always get weird. I like to have a pillow on top of my legs just in case there's anything going down. I don't want it to impact my lady bits, you know? (laughs) Wow. That is, look at you just preparing. EMF, (laughs) radiation. I don't know. She's going to radiate her ovaries. (laughs) I don't want to radiate my ovaries. They're very important to me. Laura, I thought that you meant you were worried the computer was going to explode. <laughs> what? That was not the radiation. But that makes more sense. You're right. <laughs> oh, so great. Yeah, I do care about my ovaries sometimes. Mom texted a group and she sent a children's book and she said, I'm going through my library. Does anybody want to keep this? There's a children's <laughs> book. And I said, yes, I'll keep it for my fur babies. <laughs> Oh my god, I love it. I'll read it to my kids. That is amazing. Well, guys, tomorrow's summer Fridays, so you know <laughs> there is end in sight for us. Pumped. First am, day of summer Fridays. Let's do I it. I am so excited about summer Fridays. Me too. Wait, what are you guys doing? The world is our oyster. I don't even know. Like, who knows what to do at this time? I'll figure it out. Um, I'm excited. What are you guys doing? Lindsay? I have a, quite a bit of work to do. I don't know if I'm going to have the first Summer Friday because we had Monday off. Yeah, no, that's actually how I feel. Summer Fridays might need to actually start next week. <laughs> Realistically. You know, guys, we implemented Summer Fridays because none of us are taking vacation. And then none of us are going to do the first Summer Fridays. <laughs> I feel like this is complete horse baloney like <laughs> what is this my favorite bad word uh, <laughs> horse baloney <laughs> like I don't understand I we announced summer Fridays and then are none of us taking off the first summer Friday well one week of the one day of the week was already robbed away from us oh my gosh guys we're not workaholics here are we <sighs> no I'm gonna I'm going to th- thoroughly enjoy a summer Friday this week no next week (laughs) Casey we need you take one for the team no I feel like Lindsay's right I actually already said it there I'm like I have a couple more things that I need to get done but maybe you know it could be a clock out early there we go okay well as long as you clock out early I'll be happy I'm trying to hit a really aggressive target for May billable hours for Dean Street Law. So um trying to work 10 hours a day and it's been like 
a struggle. Wow. Yeah, I can't imagine. Talk about workaholic. Well, I mean, I'm trying to hit a high target, you know. I'm trying. So I told Lindsay yesterday, which I was shocked about. We have to talk about this. Lindsay, I messaged her last night and I was like, so I think I want to take off from August to December. Oh my gosh, you should. And she was like, go for it, exclamation point. And then I was like, wait, what? You actually are on board with this? And then I started messaging her like all of my ideas for how I could legitimately make it happen so that would I you, could take Which were unnecessary months. to send to me. I was just like, okay, cool. Let me know. Put it in the employee schedule. I love it. We you should. Un- we have unlimited vacation. I mean, not that I really need it because I own the company, but like, wait, but Lynn's, you really, your, your thought was just like, go for it. Just take six months off. Laura, I didn't even think twice about it. I literally sent, go for it, enter. <laughs> oh my God. I didn't have to think about it. Girl, you do whatever you want to do. Oh, that's amazing. I appreciate all your support. You literally make my heart happy. Yeah, you guys are the, you guys are rocks. Casey, well, you're, you're so unfazed by it too. Um, you know, you deserve it, girl. Take Laura, six we months. Tell, got we got to tell them about the episode. Okay, okay, let's get into it, Linz. Tell Here. them about the episode. This is such a cool podcast because we talk with Sarah from The Cutting Veg, and she gives us so much insight on blogging, what it's like, how she balances her schedule, and she's so fun to talk to. Oh my gosh, she's amazing. Amazing. And we didn't even get into really her life as an economist, too. So we're going to have to bring her back on. But I'm so excited for you guys to listen to this first episode because she really was just a wealth of knowledge. Totally. And I hope this really gets Lindsay's button gear because Lindsay has the most incredible Instagram at Sweet Green Soul. Visit her, love on her, and tell her how she needs a website. And hopefully by the time this is out, she will have a website and we'll put it in the show notes so you can give her some love because Lindsay makes the most incredible vegan meals. And I've been begging her forever to put it on a website because I screenshot like thousands of photos for her recipes and it would just be easier on my life. So selfishly, <laughs> I would love a website from Lindsay. Straight facts. So truly, if you're looking to get into blogging, if you have interest around influencers or working with influencers or just want to up-level your game on social media, Sarah shares so much valuable insight and definitely check out her recipes. She dropped a few of her favorites in the episode and we have them in the show notes. I'm so, so excited for you guys to hear this episode. Let's get into it. to the Flourish We Grow Together podcast. This is Laura DeFrancesco, founder and CEO of Flourish Coworking Space in Westchester, Pennsylvania, and Dean Street Law. Flourish is a lush, sustainable, and inspiring space to co-work and host events in Westchester, Pennsylvania, and now brought to you all across the world virtually through our online community and also through the We Grow Together podcast. More than anything, Flourish is a community of people who all want to grow and learn together. So we're so excited to have expanded through the podcast. I am here with my co-hosts, Lindsay DeFrancesco and Casey Fluharty. Hi, everyone. It's Lindsay, the co-founder of Flourish. 
And I am Casey, the Community Manager of Flourish. And we are so, so excited to be talking today with Sarah Schutz of The Cutting Veg. She has such a cool blog. Sarah, I would love for you to introduce yourself to everyone. Hi, you guys. Thanks so much for having me. So for those of who don't know, um, my name is Sarah Schutz. I would like, I'd like to say that by day, I am a graduate student at the University of Pennsylvania um, studying health economics. I'm in the second year of my PhD program. But then by night, I run the health and wellness blog, The Cutting Veg. And my whole premise of my blog is to make healthy living and healthy eating and exercise easy and accessible for people because I think too often in the space, um, people think it's too hard or too expensive to eat healthy or to practice mindfulness. And, and I want to bring those barriers down so that people you know, feel like they can participate in something that's going to make their health better and you know, their lives better in the end. And you do such a good job of it. I mean, you just have an amazing page and I encourage every single person listening to go check her out because she has just the most beautiful page and your recipes are delicious and so cool. I'm curious, how did you, you know, get started and what inspired you to kind of go on this life of healthy living? Yeah. So it's actually super interesting. So when I guess I, to go all the way back, I started my Instagram account in 2015 in like when I was a senior in college. And at that time, you know, being an influencer, like nobody did it with the hopes of it becoming a career. And for me, it was just, I had a dietitian. I was seeing a dietitian at the time because I was losing a lot of weight and didn't really know why. And she kind of suggested this idea of keeping a food diary and posting photos on Instagram of what you're eating uh, to kind of figure out, you know, if there was something going wrong or if I wasn't eating enough. And so that was kind of the the premise. And I just started posting photos on Instagram. And then all of a sudden, people started commenting on my photos asking, oh, how did you make this beet hummus? Or how? And I would post the recipe in the caption. And I think for a year, I, I just built this community of people who were very like-minded. And there's some of the other you know, quote unquote influencers that you see today. And I, it was such an incredible experience that I just kept going at it. And somehow it became a business. I, but I, I really set off, didn't set off with the goal of it becoming what it was for me. It was just something that was a fun, but B also something that was going to help me, you know, find something that would help me live my best life and to become a little bit healthier and feel better. And you do such a good job of it too, especially when you're talking about creating a community. I'm wondering, so what I love so much about your page is that you can seriously see your personality through your page and either the captions or like, especially on your blog page, you can so tell that like there's a voice behind the words and that it also, it, it shares your personality with us too. I'm wondering if you have any tips on how to actually do that. Like, how do you get across your personality when you're talking over platforms like a computer or a phone? That's a great question. So for me, you know, I just really, I think that story. So, so when I started on Instagram, stories weren't a thing. And I think that stories and posting on stories, Instagram stories have really helped me hone in on what my voice is. You know, I, when I was in high school, I would get made fun of a lot because I was maybe a little bit different and expressed myself a little bit differently and, than other people. And, you know, have going to college and then starting this account, I really 
allowed myself to really fall into, you know, maybe I'm a little bit, you know, more exaggerated with how I talk or, you know, maybe the way that I speak to people is a little bit different than, you know, the the calm, you know, writing that you might see. I say calm, the the writing that you see, you know, in a normal, you know, news site or blog context. And so I guess Real, I guess my advice would be to just really hone in on what your inner voice is. And I know that sounds really cheesy, but for me, it wasn't until I got to college or that I really truly embraced how I think in the world and accept that for, you know, what it is and that it's not the norm, but people really resonate with that authenticity. Definitely. And I think that it's really difficult when, especially if you, in childhood, there is so much bullying that goes along and there's also so much social pressure to conform. So when you're putting yourself out there like that, there's a level of like self-confidence and really owning up to who you are. And you're the only one out there who's judging yourself. So like getting that out of your head and like getting that inner voice. um, I feel like this is still something that I honestly work at. So it's really inspiring to see you come up every single day, just so authentically yourself. And, um, and I love to see that. And I love your personality. It's so fun and like bubbly. It's awesome. Oh, that's so funny. You say that. Cause I consider, I th- I would consider myself like an extroverted introvert. Um, I definitely have those moments where I like, especially before all of the, you know, social distancing happened, like I find myself like really wanting to just retreat sometimes because the social stimulation is too much. But, but that makes me really happy for you to say that I'm a little bit of an ex. I present myself as an extrovert because that's what I aspire to be sometimes. But sometimes I need to, you know, sit back and, and let myself recover a little bit. That's so funny. I also feel like I'm like an introvert extrovert. It's kind of like a, you know, two sides. But I'm also curious. I think that you're so authentic too, whereas I feel like some health pages kind of it's a lot of like trendy food fads and kind of like gimmicky powders and stuff like that. But I feel like you really just focus on like whole foods. I would love to hear your opinion kind of on like food trends and kind of all that stuff. Yeah. So I will preface this by saying that I am very privileged in the sense that I receive a lot of products for free because brands like, I think I do a lot of taste tests on my page and I think brands have really honed in on to the fact that I'm going to be very authentic with my audience and I've built a credibility around that. That being said, you know, I grew up with my mom and my dad, you know, always, my dad owns his own business. He's a physician and he always instilled in us from when I was little that, you know, the value of a dollar and and not spending your money frivolously. And, and I carry that to this day, especially as a graduate student, where I feel like, you know, I don't make, I, I'm very lucky in that a PhD allows me to have a stipend to live on and that I don't have to pay tuition. I get that as part of my, my package. But, but I also am very conscious of the fact that I'm not going to spend $65 on a powder if it's not going to do anything or it's going to do something so marginally that it's not going to justify the cost. And I think that also, I'm also, uh, I don't know if I mentioned this, but I'm an economist. So for me, you know, I really hone in on to this, you know, is it going to be, is this product, the cost, does it, is it justified? And so And I don't also, I feel really guilty, you know, I don't want to sell my followers or talk to my followers about a product that I don't think is worth something that I'm going to spend my money on. So for me, 
I have to test a product before I talk about it or, you know, want, and I want, I have to be able to want to spend my money on it, even if I didn't receive it for free. And so I'm just very picky about what I, what brands I talk about because I, I don't want to, for me, it's all about authenticity and building a community. And for me, if I'm selling powders that I don't think are worth it, that that totally defeats the purpose. I love that. And you've done such an incredible job of building community Can you share some of your best practices as you've grown your platform over the years? For example, do you try to post a certain times, a certain amount of times a week, or do you have other best practices that are kind of like your rules of the road of how you want to operate? Yeah. So I, again, I'll preface this by saying, you know, I started on Instagram five years ago and the environment now is so different than it was back then. However, I think what has stayed the same is being very consistent about what you post. And also, like we talked about before, you know, really honing in on what your message and your voice is. Um, Because people can sense, especially now in this age of, you know, reality television, people can really sense in on when people are being authentic and when people aren't. And by knowing what your voice is, I find that, you know, people really respond to when you are being your most authentic self. And and Instagram has actually really helped me and my blog have really helped me figure that out. And and I'm still learning and I'm still growing. And but I think if you want to start out, you know, really asking yourself the question of what am I going, you know, because I always say this, there are 10 different ways that you can make chocolate chip cookie recipes. You know, that's not why at the end of the day, like, yes, a recipe is great, but that's not why people are coming to your page again and again and again. It's the authentic person behind the camera and how well people respond to that. That's ultimately what people are coming for, especially on people's blogs and on Instagram. So it's really making sure you hone in on, you know, what your authentic voice is. That being said, um, I mean, being very consistent with how you post, like I tend to post at least once or twice a day. I will take days off sometimes, especially now I'm actually studying for my qualification exams for my PhD. So there are days where I, I don't post just because it's, it's a lot right now. Um, but being, especially when you're starting out, being very consistent, also just talking to other people who share similar interests to you. That's really how I built a community um, in the beginning. And I, and I found it, I wouldn't have done it if I didn't find it rewarding. And to this day, I still am very close with some of the people that I met in the beginning when Instagram was not nearly as saturated as it is now. So cool. I I think that's really helpful for a lot of people to hear. And you mentioned you work with a lot of brands, or at least you get a lot of products from brands. As there are a lot of small businesses and entrepreneurs who are part of the Flourish community, I would love to hear what has made you really happy about working with certain brands. Like, are there things that they do that you're like, oh my goodness, I love you and I would love to continue working with you? Yeah. So I really, it's so funny you say that because I really love working with smaller you know, more local brands, um, just because I think, you know, in this day and age, when I work with a brand, especially if it's a more national brand, I end up working through a third party social media marketing agency that acts as their representative, which is fine. And it's great for them because it offers them consulting and 
But it, but I really like to learn about the company and learn about the mission of the brand from the people themselves who work with the brand. And so for me, that is probably one of the most valuable relationships that I have. Like there are brands that I've been working with since for, for three years and it's the same people and they haven't left and the mission is still the same. And those are really the relationships that I you know, thinking back on my time, those are the ones that I remember. And those are the ones that I value. Um, I guess in terms of strategy, again, like, if you see a brand that you love, and and really resonates for you, I mean, I never go about a partnership with the intention solely to make money, because that that to me, defeats the purpose. For me, it's, is the brand going to resonate with my followers? Do they have a very clear, authentic message? You know, is the product going to truly benefit their life and make their life better? And those are the things that I really take into account, especially, and and I also take into account the fact that they are a smaller brand and they are a local brand and that like, especially some of my favorite Philly local brands, people here will really respond well to helping out a small business. So those are, those are kind of the things I consider and the things that I value when I'm choosing to work, especially with smaller brands. And then as you started to grow, you know, you get to that point at which you start charging for, you know, your help and everything and your plat and use of your platform and everything. How did you navigate that, especially so early on in Instagram? Whew, well, that that is quite a question. Um it's really funny to me because I'm going to be quite honest with you guys. I don't think I started. So I remember receiving product really early on, like end of 2015. And I remember thinking that that was the coolest thing. Like, oh, I can post a photo and then a brand will send me product. But I really didn't start making money until like January 2017. So I was doing this for two years you know, not making any money, just doing it because I love the community of people. And I loved, you know, and, and at the time in January, 2017, I think I had like 35,000 followers. And it wasn't until, um, one of my good friends, Lisa, the well necessities came to me. She's one of my mentors. And she came to me and she said, Sarah, like you should really be charging. You should really be having a rate card. And I was like, what? I have no idea what any of that is. Um, and, and it was all my, again, my dad owned a small business, so it's, I learned a lot from him, but, but especially in this space that there wasn't a market for before, it was a lot of trial and error about figuring out, you know, what to charge and what my worth was, because I don't think a lot of brands even understood what the worth of having someone who has a community of people who trust your opinion, what the actual monetary value of that is. And so it was a lot of, you know, trial and error and like, you know, negotiating prices and seeing, oh, well, the brand really accepted this really quickly. Like, am I charging enough here? And so that to me was a lot of through the past over three years, trial and error, figuring out what was a good, and I've learned a lot of, you know, thinking about how to negotiate contracts. And it's something that I'm really proud that I know how to do and go, especially like, being an economist and, you know, maybe having to negotiate a book deal or something, you know, going forward, knowing all of that information. 
Amazing. And as a lawyer, I am so, so happy that you learned the skills of negotiation because I think it's so important no matter whether you have a brand approaching you or whether you are an employee and you are handed a non-compete agreement or something for you to, for everybody to really stand up for themselves and understand the place that they have and the power that they have in negotiating because that's such an important part of navigating anyone's life. So you mentioned book deal. Is that a potential for you or do you have some other ideas that you're pursuing? <laughs> um, so when I say book deal, I was talking about me being an economist. In turn, I have been asked to do a cookbook um, several times, but I, to me, when, when a publisher comes to me with an idea, I just don't at the time, the past couple times I've been approached, it just doesn't seem quite right to me or the idea and, or it's not the right time. And I think that that really, you know, there are so many opportunities that come and go, but I really want to make sure that if and when I write a book, for me, it's, or a cookbook, it's the right kind of opportunity for me. And it's the right, you know, thing that I, that I want to work on. In terms of other things, I mean, I'm negotiating right now. I'm in talks with some really interesting brand deals that, you know, do, I can't disclose exactly what I would be doing. Um, that's for, you know, everyone incentive to come and check out my page and to see, to see what I'm doing. But yeah, I'm very excited for 2020 and what, what it has in store. Um, I just can't talk about it quite yet. That's quite all right. Are there any tips that you would share as you've learned to negotiate and as you've been working on these projects that you can share with others who are starting to learn to negotiate themselves? Oh, yeah. It's funny you say that. So I'm actually a PhD at Wharton, and I actually um, I actually uh, was helping a professor uh, talk about his negotiations class. So it's really, it's really funny that you talk about this. Um, so for me, number one, if a brand comes to you with a price, never accept the first price. There's always room to say, you know, I think I do. And, and also just like knowing what you're worth in general. And that takes a lot of trial and error, like I talked about before. Like if you come with a price and the brand immediately accepts it, you know, for the next deal, that is something that you really need to um, need to consider in the next negotiation. The, net, the other thing I would suggest is especially I work with a lot of brands, food brands that in their contracts, like really reading through the contract is something that sounds really dumb, but is actually super important because things like exclusivity, those are things that you can charge extra for. So, so for those of you that don't know, exclusivity is when, you know, I could be working with say a yogurt brand and the brand says that in for six months, I can't talk about any other yogurt brand or, or I can't be paid by any other yogurt brand. And I remember I was working with a grocery store chain and I was in con talks for a contract working with a grocery store chain and they didn't want me to talk about any other grocery store in any of my social media channels for a year. And I, I don't know if anyone's been to my page for five seconds, I talk about Trader Joe's. I love Trader Joe's so much. <laughs> And the I, and and this contract was a lot of money. Like, if I'm being completely honest, it was a full year salary for some people. And the but but for me, the authenticity that I would be losing, and I don't get paid by Trader Joe's, but the authenticity that I would be losing by not being able to talk about grocery store different grocery store chains other than the one that came to me was 
something that I was not willing to accept. And I tried everything to try and make the contract work. And, and, you know, there are just some deals that you just have to walk away from because it's just not going to work with your brand. And, and I'm very, you know, for me, losing my voice is losing my audience. And that's the end of the game. Like that's the end. I mean, I don't mean to say it's a game, but that's the end of the time that you have with your audience. And so for me, it's so, I'm willing to make that sacrifice for the long run here, because for me, like my audience is the most important thing. I so agree with that. And can you share a little bit about what's helped you? A lot of the things that you've said are really truly testaments to your philosophies and mentalities. Can you share if you've had any resources in helping to develop that? Or is that just, you know, comes naturally as part of your upbringing? Yeah, again, like my, I, it's so funny you say that because my, I've said this a couple times, but my dad who owns his own business has really been a mentor to me in my phone. When he rings the phone, it says dadager. Like I consider him my, I don't, I'm not man. Like I think now a trend in, uh, influencer marketing is having a manager or, you know, someone who is your, yeah, someone who's your manager. And for me, I do all of my contract negotiations by myself. I'm not managed by anyone, but my dad really helps me, you know, think about how I want to negotiate and think about, you know, how I work as a brand. And he honestly, for me, he has been my biggest mentor and inspiration for this. That is so cool. I love that. It's really awesome hearing all of these like insights that you're giving. I'm also curious, you mentioned earlier about a rate card and I've actually never even heard of that. Do you mind explaining what a rate card exactly is? Yeah, for sure. So, so the two, if, if, you know, most influencers, I would say have two things and it's a media kit and a rate card. A media kit is kind of, sometimes they're looped together and combined as one media kit, but I consider them two separate things. A media kit is basically all of your past work you know, what types of things you can bring to the brand, kind of a summary of what you're all about in one page, kind of like your, your CV, but with a lot of images and that context. And then a rate card is basically, you know, if I, um, if, if a brand wants to do a story post or a blog post or, you know, what they want to do, I I give a general idea of what the cost of that is going to be. And of course, like if it's a local brand, if it's a smaller brand, like I'm really happy to work with people to come up with a collaboration because at the end of the day, they're getting something and I'm getting something and it's a collaboration. And so I really want to make sure that whatever we do is beneficial for the both of us. And so having, but having my prices there just gives brands a sense of what my value, what I think of my value is worth. Because I think too often, you know, I went to a women's college and, and one of the things I learned is too often women um, don't view their worth as highly as men do. And, and there's a couple of different studies, you know, regarding that. And, you know, in terms of negotiating, I want to make sure that people know what I think my value is and being very upfront with that. And I think that having a rate card and giving that context is incredibly, incredibly important. I think that that's all such valuable advice. And I feel like from an outside perspective, Instagram can kind of seem like this arbitrary thing that you're kind of looking at all these influencers and you're wondering like what the back end of all that is. So I think it's super cool that you're, you know, speaking on that and being transparent. 
I also wanted to talk about, you know, you mentioned that you're studying your PhD and you also do Instagram. Um, I'm just kind of wondering, you know, you're so busy. How do you kind of balance both aspects of that? I would say that what I'm just going to make, I'm just going to put this in context and say that that is probably the number one question when I pose questions to my followers. Like, how the heck do you balance it all? The short answer is that I really don't. Um, I don't think that there's any way that you can balance, have a quote unquote balance with it. For me, what helps a lot is block scheduling. So at the beginning of the week, I kind of know what contracts I want to work on and what content I want to create and, and what recipes I want to share with people. Because it's not just me doing sponsored work. Like it's also, you know, putting recipes on my blog that I think people would really respond well to. So it's, it's also that work. But then also knowing, okay, I have an exam this day. I have um, a paper that I have to write. I have a referee report I have to write. Um, and so just really making sure that, you know, and then also in all of this work, I also want to hang out with my friends. I want to date. I want to do all this other stuff. So really having like setting aside time for each of those things, I find really helps me stay on task and really helps me, you know, make sure that I'm not wasting time. But if I'm wasting time a little bit, like that's fine. Like I I give myself a lot of leeway here, but in the short answers, it is I think that this idea of balancing your life is a little bit, I guess, overrated in the sense that, you know, we're all going to have these little chaotic ebbs and flows of, you know, what's important and what isn't. And so for me, making sure that I have my priorities done and then working my way down my lists and block scheduling is something that I have found that helps me manage my time the, the most efficiently. That's super helpful. I'm also curious. So then with that said, what is a normal like day to day look like for you? Interesting. Okay. So, um, I would, so I'm going to do this in the context of we're not in a pandemic and we are, um, like at the beginning of my semester. So generally I, I would wake up like seven, six I have to work out like first thing in the morning personally, or else I won't do it. And I really prioritize, you know, I feel so much better when I move my body, when I, whether it's going on a run or, or lifting or doing like a quick workout. Like I really value that time. And then a lot of times I would have to be, so I go to the University of Pennsylvania and I live in Center City. So I generally walk to school, find it's a very meditative, lets me focus, get myself in the right mindset. Generally, I bring like breakfast, lunch, like all of my meals to campus with me. And depending on the day, like if I have class all day, you know, I'll bring all my meals. But then there are some days where I'll maybe won't have class or have one class and then I'll come back and then have a – if I'm scheduling myself to shoot photos, I'll do that in the afternoon or – it really all depends on what my class schedule is. But but the things that stay consistent are, you know, work – or moving my body, you know, eating – like obviously eating – And then also just giving myself time at the end of the day to decompress. Even if I have a lot of schoolwork or I have a lot of deadlines, like just giving myself a lot of time to decompress, whether that's listening to a podcast or, you know, taking a longer than normal shower or doing a fake, like things that really let me, you know, calm down and take time for myself. I think that for me is one of the most important things. You said that you bring your meals um, to class with you. Do you have tips for people who are super busy like you? Like, do you meal prep? How does that, what does that look like for you? Oh, I absolutely meal prep. I like, like not so much now, but especially when I'm in school, um, meal prepping is essential for making sure that I have healthy, you know, 
but affordable meals because I think, you know, I can go to campus and there's a sweet green on campus and I love sweet green so much. I could eat at sweet green every day, but it's expensive. And I don't, as a graduate student, I don't have the money a lot of times to spend that. So what I do a lot is I have figured out there are several different types of meals that are very easy to pack that last a long time. And, you know, I'll rotate through. There's like maybe 15 that I can think of right now. And I just rotate through those meals, you know, things like a marinated chickpea salad travel really well or egg salad with, you know, sweet potato toasts or crackers or, or, um, you know, like a baked sweet potato or like there are things that, that pack really well, that travel really well that I tend to, you know, lean on throughout the week. And just having those in my fridge as options is always very beneficial in terms of saving time, saving money. And still, you know, having a diet that makes me feel my best. That's so cool. We'll include some of the, those recipes that you mentioned in the show notes so everybody can check them out. Do you have any other favorite recipes that you can share with people if they're new and you think that they should try? Oh my gosh. Okay. Where do I even begin? Because <laughs> I would say that I would say that the the social distancing time has really let me try all different types of recipes that I'm super excited about. Um, I guess right now what I'm really honing in on is number one, um, I just made a vegan Pollock paneer, which for those of you that don't know, basically Pollock paneer is a spinach, an Indian spinach curry um, with cubes of cheese. Uh, it's kind of similar to, I would say, like a, feta, a less salty feta texture. And so I make it vegan by taking tofu, which has a very similar texture to paneer, and marinating it with like nutritional yeast and lemon juice. And the fl- it, it does not take a lot of time, but the flavor is so good and spot on. And, and this goes back to you know, I I think that Indian food for a lot of people is very overwhelming and the idea of like cooking your own from scratch is very overwhelming. But the the ingredients, I mean, I go to there's a there's a you know, an Indian grocery store by pen and I get and I also my dad collects ingredients and gives them to me and and they're very affordable and once you have them, it's very easy to create Indian food that tastes very authentic and is, it tastes really good. And and I've learned a lot from also my friends who are Indian and their parents and For me, it's, again, making that kind of cuisine affordable and accessible to people, you know, is something that I think, you know, resonates with a lot of people. Um, Other recipes right now, honestly, just really loving like a piece of toast with like yogurt and just a really big, juicy tomato, like with salt on it. I think like very simple is something I'm also leaning on right now because I have a lot going on and and sometimes simple is the most comforting. That all sounds so delicious. Oh my gosh, need to look at all of those recipes. I feel like I have to ask, since you're such a Trader Joe's connoisseur, what are your favorite things to buy from Trader Joe's? Oh my gosh, where do I even begin? Um, I'm going to (laughs) limit it to three. It's actually really funny because I never grew up with Trader Joe's. Trader Joe's was something that my my grandfather lived in Wayne and whenever he, Wayne, New Jersey, and whenever he would come and visit us, he would bring us things back from Trader Joe's. So Trader Joe's was actually not something I went to until I was, I went to school in New York and it was there. So, but I would say the three things that you absolutely need to get, number one, um, the, like I said, I love Indian food. So the Pollock paneer there, the regular Pollock paneer in the frozen section is one of the most authentic things that I've ever tasted. And it is just 
the spices are all spot on, the texture is spot on. And for a frozen food, it is so delicious. So that's number one. Number two, the Thai lime chili cashews are some of I have never oh found a product like this Stop before. Stop it. I am obsessed with them. <laughs> They're so good, right? It's just the spice, the flavor. Everything about them is so unique and delicious. And they're very, they're like, I think $8, but it's something that once in a while I will buy because I just crave them and they are amazing. They're, they're so, so good. good. Right. Exactly. Yeah. It's just amazing. And then I would say the, the number, I mean, you're limiting me to three things. So I'm, I have to really think about this. I would say the Bomba hot pepper sauce is crazy. So, so it's, um, Calabrian chilies that have been marinated in, I think it's an olive oil blend and it is the most delicious spread to add. If you like spicy food, I love spicy food to add to an egg sandwich or scrambled eggs or pasta, or it goes in everything. And people ask me all the time, I don't want to buy it because I don't know how to use it. How do I use it? And I say, just put it on anything and it will taste good. And, and a lot of people come back to me saying, Yes, you were right. Like, this is the most delicious thing. So I have actually, I think, four stockpiled in my pantry right now because they there was a shortage last year and I didn't have it. And it was really <laughs> upsetting. So so I now have four at all times to add it to whatever, whatever I'm cooking, whatever I need it. Oh my gosh, that's hilarious. So to be totally real with everybody, I stockpile like five things of the everything but the bagel seasoning at a time because the moment that I run out of it is just disastrous. And I don't live super close to a Trader Joe's. And that's, those are just a mm-hmm. staple in my life. Oh, that's totally valid, though. I don't blame you at all for doing that. <laughs> I actually have a couple of food blog specific questions for you. Yeah. So I'm wondering, your photographs are one so beautiful. The lighting is always like on point. Um, I'm wondering if you have any food styling tips slash like food photography tips. Yeah. So I, this might come as a surprise to people, but I actually photograph everything with my iPhone. I have an iPhone 11 Pro, and all of the photos from the blog, I mean, all of the photos from the blog were taken with an iPhone. Um, the Obviously, I've changed iPhones over the years. Um, I have several apps that I use to edit my photos, but really, you know, it, it's very formulaic for me at this point. Um, I use Snapseed, which is Google's editing software. Um, I will use Lightroom sometimes. I mean, it all depends on what I want to do to the photo. Like certain apps are better at adjusting sharpness and some apps are better at adjusting contrast. So it all depends. But generally, I lean on Snapseed and Lightroom. Um, in terms of styling, one a lot of the things... So, so I have like certain bowls, I guess, that I like to use and plates because I find that the way that the light hits them, it doesn't wash out the food. So, so being able to find like shallow things like bowls and so that you can see everything is something that I think is very important to consider. Um, I always shoot in natural light. Actually, I, I, I have my own condo. I bought it in, 29, in October 2019 and my realtor hated me because every time I would go into a place that she thought was perfect, I would say, nope, I can't have this place because it, the lighting needs to be, there needs to be a lot of natural light that comes in. And she'd be like, that, that makes absolutely no sense. And I, I, and for me, it was very important. And so the condo that I live in now has a lot, has south facing, facing exposure, 
a lot of natural light. And so I will only shoot my photos in natural light because it just the way that it looks, I think makes for the best kind of food photography. Also, another thing that I like to consider is how the food is placed in the bowl. So not just the bowl itself, but making sure that like, you know, if something needs to be lifted so that the light can hit it a certain way so that you can see it and there's not a shadow, that's something you really need to consider. Um, I have a couple of recipes for hummus on my blog. And and one of the little tricks I have is that if you have a bowl of hummus, you want to make it look really full so that you can see it so that the light will hit it. So sometimes what I'll do, especially if I don't have enough, is that I'll take like a smaller bowl, I'll flip it upside down, and then I'll pour the hummus on top. So there's, you know, it's able to come up and out of the bowl. And I also don't, I live by myself, like I'm a single lady. So I, I can't a lot of times make a whole lot of food at once. And so having that trick to lift things up is something that makes a photo for food look a lot better than if I were to just put it in a bowl. I'm curious. I know like, you know, with the Instagram algorithm and things like things like avocado toast, it's super trendy. It gets a lot of engagement, a lot of likes and stuff like that. Are you planning your content kind of around that? Or is it just truly like your day to day eating? This is what I want to eat. I'm going to eat it and photograph it kind of thing. Um, I would say especially like two years ago, it was a lot more of the former. So a lot more of like, this is trendy. You know, this is cool. Like, definitely was much more honed in on that. However, I would say that especially, I mean, and I still do do that. Like I think um, something like pancake cereal is, and and I just discovered TikTok and I'm all in on TikTok right now. (laughs) But pancake cereal was this thing on TikTok that, you know, when I saw it, I was like, I'm going to make my own version. And I'm, you know, because it's the trendy thing and, and the algorithm does really respond well to it. However, I would say like in the past year, I have gotten so much better at just saying, you know what, this is food that I'm, it's not so much my day-to-day eating because I like to, you know, have content, especially on the days where I'm in class all day and I don't have time to photograph everything that I'm eating at that time, but just really also just honing in on food that I eat all the time and enjoy. And that might be a little bit different than, you know, what the algorithm might think is attractive or sexy. Like, Doll is one of my favorite things or you know I'm trying like a, a chili is one of my favorite things to eat D- will it do well on the algorithm no because it's saucy and dark and you can't see all the little ingredients and it's not pretty and it's not white and marble you know and for me I'm just like you know what people are really going to like the recipe if they try it I'm just going to post it regardless of what people or what the algorithm thinks. And I think my followers have actually responded very well to that. And I'm really happy with how, you know, and it's given me a lot less anxiety about the whole thing, which for my own mental health, I think is a lot better. That's so awesome. And I just have one more blog specific question. So I'm wondering if someone wants to start their own blog about whatever it is that they're passionate about, are there any tips that you would have for someone to like really get them started on the right foot? Yeah. So when I first started, I actually really, and I'm going to give a shout out. Um, Minimalist Baker has an amazing guide about how to start a blog on her website. And I really, when I first started my blog, I really honed in on that. There's actually, people don't know this, but there was an iteration of The Cutting Veg in 2013 when I was in college that I tried starting a cooking blog. And then college 
got in the way and I just got overwhelmed. And I didn't follow that the first time. And when I thought, oh, I'm just going to transfer everything over, I realized that there were a lot of limitations. I was using, I think, like Wix or something. And there was a lot of limitations to that. But then following Minimalist Baker's website development page was something that I found to be super helpful in starting my blog. And then, you know, obviously things have changed now and learning, just making sure that it's hard for me to give advice because things are constantly changing in the field. I would say definitely hone in on that course because I think it's not a course, it's just a guide for free on her website. That was something for me that was really helpful in starting out. I love The Minimalist Baker and Lindsay has the most fabulous um, food blog on Instagram, Sweet Green Soul, that I am obsessed with. I get most of my food inspiration from Lindsay and I've been trying to convince her to do a website for the longest time. So I'm hoping, Linz, that we can that you make that happen ASAP. I did ask a couple of questions specifically for inspiration, but Laura's being dramatic. It's very amateur. It's like a very Oh my amateur gosh, it's Instagram. amazing. But uh, but it is something that I like to do for fun. Yeah, and I think honestly that's the most important thing, right? Like I think too often I get questions about how can I make this into a business? Like how can I make, and, and at the, at the end of the day, if you don't like being on Instagram and you don't do it solely for the purpose of enjoyment, there's no point in you trying to make it into a business if it's not something you completely enjoy. So, so it's great to hear that, that even if you choose to do it or not, that is great to hear that you're doing it because you love it. Like that makes me so happy to hear. I love that. And I'm so, I'm so supportive of that. So can I ask a question going back to schedule? How many hours do you think a week do you spend on your blog and Instagram and TikTok? Ooh, well, again, it depends on the time of year. Um, when I'm in midterms or finals, you best believe that I'm not spending more than two to three hours a week on it just because I'm, I'm so busy. But I would say in a general week – you know, where I have a normal schedule going on, I spend maybe upwards of like 30, 25 to 30 hours a week. I mean, it's a big, like between negotiating contracts and creating content and keeping up with stories. It's a lot of, it's a lot of moving parts to make sure that everything is, is going smoothly and and people are, you know, getting the, the information that they need. Absolutely. It's a full-time job. And I think that a lot of people don't really see that aspect of it from the other side. And I love that you're experimenting with and that you said that you're all in with TikTok. And I saw that your TikTok content is very different than your Instagram content. Can you share your thoughts about TikTok, your strategy behind TikTok, and any other thoughts that you have on it? Yeah. So, so to give some context, um, so first of all, my TikTok content is a lot of me leaning more heavily into my economic side because I think that there's a lot of misinformation. Like I really love cooking and talking about cooking, but I'm not, not a dietitian. I'm not an expert, but I feel like something on TikTok that I, and there's a lot of food bloggers on TikTok, but something that I really haven't seen that I think lends itself really well to that platform is being a, you know, an expert in what I am technically certified in, which is economics and specifically healthcare economics. And so I have really enjoyed leaning into that side of myself. Now, people who follow me on Instagram through TikTok are very confused about what the, about the difference. But for me, like, it's almost like having a right brain and a left brain kind of thing. Like, I really love having that TikTok part of my, of my life on there. 
And and for me, it's what separates me and what makes me different. So I, I, I'm all for it. So cool. Do you have any tips for anybody getting started on TikTok? And what is your approach to creating videos? So, so I'm actually just starting out on TikTok now. Like, I think I only have over a thousand followers. So, you know, I don't know if I, I'm the best person to give advice about that. But I will say, um, in terms of creating content, you know, really just leaning into the trends and finding your own. T- like on TikTok, there's a page where you can look at what's trending and and really honing in on the trends and what you know people are people are talking about and having your own take on what the trends are. I think is super important. And for me, you know, my page is all about talking about, you know, health economics and maybe, you know, what is being misspoken about in the media and, and you know, maybe what people are confused about. And for me, it's all about, you know, taking that, you know, day to day, what's, you know, trending in the news and, and clarifying that for people who aren't so familiar with economic terms. Because I think economics for a lot of people are, is scary because they don't understand how the economy works. And so I really love trying to translate that for people and making it a little bit easier to understand and digest. I love that. And I think that it's so cool that people can go on different platforms and learn different sides of you, you know? So I am so happy that you were able to come on this podcast. I know that you have a lot going on in your personal life too. So I really appreciate it. Um, Before we head out though, um, we always like to ask everyone two questions. One, are there any resources, podcasts, books that you really love that you'd recommend to the audience? Ooh, okay. Well, now I know that we went, we were all over the place a little. So now for terms of books and podcasts, I have like a very diverse love of things. Um, I just finished this book called The Splendid in the Bile by Eric Larson, which is a historical book about Winston Churchill. I think especially now, um, we're, you know, we are in the throes of some very stressful times and reading about World War II and how, you know, Winston Churchill brought us out of, you know, this very trepidatious time is something that I'm really leaning on right now to give me a little bit of comfort that, you know, we've been in times like this before and, you know, we can come out of it like we did, you know, in the 1940s. So for me, that that's the book that I've really loved. And, and I encourage everyone to, you know, even if you're not a historical, a, re- a reader of historical, you know, stuff to, to give it a, ch- a look. In terms of podcasts, I would say my favorite podcast right now is Keep It. It's this very interesting podcast about pop culture and how it relates to society right now. And and the hosts, I think it's like Ira Madison III and Louis Vertel, and they are the most hilarious people. And I always find myself laughing out loud when I listen to that podcast. So I, and we all need something to make us laugh a little bit. So those are the two things that I would definitely suggest. Oh, that's so cool. And then the second question is where can everyone find you? Yeah, absolutely. So um, people can find me on my blog, which is called The Cutting Veg. It's at thecuttingvegblog.com. Um, you can find me also on all social media. My handle is The Cutting Veg. It's actually funny because The Cutting Veg is also a farm in Ontario that grows onions. So that is not me. But if you find something that looks like me and is a food blog, that's probably probably going to be me. <laughs> I love that. We'll <laughs> include all the information in the show notes so that everybody can find you. Please, please give Sarah so much love. Comment on her latest post. Share her recipes with everybody, with your friends. Try them out. And seriously, thank her so much for joining us today. Sarah, thank you so, so much for joining us. We so appreciate it. 
Well, thanks so much for having me. It was great talking to you. Yeah, it was so fun. Thank you. Thanks, Sarah. Thanks. Thanks, Sarah. Thank you. Thank you, everyone, so, so much for joining us for this week's episode with Sarah. What an incredible conversation. What were you gals' favorite takeaways? Ooh, I loved how she talked about the different food styling tips. I just think that that's cool because even if you're not a food blogger, everyone loves a good photo of their avocado toast in the morning. So I love that. That was really fun to hear about. How about you, Casey? Oh my gosh, she gave so many good tips. I think it just her talking about how, I mean, guys, she literally said, you know, she's turned down big brand deals because it didn't feel authentic to her. And I just think that that's so inspiring because, so I just thought that that was like just so interesting to listen to and just made me love her even more. Oh my gosh, that's too funny. Then that's exactly what I picked up too. Her mentality is so grounded with everything. I'm just so impressed how she manages everything and just doesn't get caught up in, I think, the unnecessary stress of either social media or the pressure to please others and just stays so true to who she is. It's so grounding. And I think such incredible advice. And that's my biggest takeaway, truly. Totally. I love the episode. Well, thank you guys so much for joining us. And it would mean the absolute world, world, world to us if you share our podcast on Instagram, tag us at Flourish Westchester. And you can also subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. And that will be entered enter you in to win a free month at Flourish, our lush, sustainable, and inspiring co-working space and place to host events in Westchester, Pennsylvania. So if you include your Instagram handle in your review that you leave, we will be able to let you know if you win. We announce every single episode, a new person who wins a free month at Flourish. And even if you're not local, you'll also receive free access to a bunch of different workshops that we've done, like our social media workshop and our money management workshop. So even if you're far away, you can still benefit from this. And we so, so appreciate all of your support. Every single person who has subscribed, rated, and reviewed the podcast, shared it with a friend, texted it to anybody, literally means the world to us. You can find me at Laura M. D. Francesco, And you can find me, Lindsay, at Sweet Green Soul. And me at Casey Blue. Thanks, guys. Have a great day. Thank you. Bye. Bye.